this is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, recently I listened to a podcast by Tim Keller that opened my eyes um, to some things I just simply didn't either didn't know or didn't realize or hadn't really focused on. And and as I was reading about the Philippian church and in and in Acts as well about uh, how Paul. Uh, initially went to Philippi and started a church there, I began to realize that these three things that I heard in this podcast were something that the Philippians didn't realize either. And, and really, the book of Philippians kind of opened their eyes to these three things. And I'd love to share them with you today. And I hope that you listen carefully and, and that you, you have kind of the epiphany or the eye-opening experience that I've, I've had just recently. I'm so glad to share this with you. And we're going into an interesting part of Acts because it's going to lead us um, out of Acts and into some of what we call the epistles. If you know what an epistle is, and it was letters written by the Apostle Paul, who much of Acts is about, especially the last part of the, the second half of Acts is about Paul. And it gives insight to see what these letters were about and who they were written to and how it might have helped those people at that time. And in turn, how it can help you and me. And so that's kind of, that's kind of where we're headed uh, today, starting today and into many several Sundays beyond today. And the, the first... The first place that we find Paul where he's with a group of people that he wrote one of the letters to is in Philippi, the Philippians. All right. It's a book in the New Testament. And uh, we've been reading. We've been really kind of stopped in Acts 16. Look at this map right here so that you can kind of see where Philippi was. Paul was making his way around Asia Minor, which is in modern day Turkey. And he ends up in Philippi, as we've seen the last couple of Sundays. We're taking a couple of different angles at it. And so in Philippi, we remember in Acts 16, he, um, he makes his way outside the city gates to find a place of prayer. And, and Jewish tradition tells us this, that Jews, if they had more than 10 people in a certain town, then they were to start a synagogue. Well, apparently in Philippi, there weren't many Jews because there was no synagogue at that time. And so Paul and his companions, which seems to have included Luke, made their way outside of the city to a river. And I'm going to throw up some pictures here of what some of the ruins from from Philippi look like. And by the way, Philippi is is in modern day Greece. And um, Philippi was started or uh, conquered by Philip II of Macedon back in 356 B.C., way back when, 350 years before the time of Jesus. And it became a Roman colony. It was really interesting. At that time, the emperor got some of his key military folks from a, a, a certain group of, uh, of, of uh, soldiers, and they began to colonize Philippi. They began to colonize it. And so in Philippi at the time of Paul, when he got there, there was this cross-section of people. There was the elites, the military elites that owned land and owned the city, basically. And then there was just a bunch of farmers, slaves, and service providers. That's kind of the, uh, the, kind of the feel. There's probably about ten to 15,000 people in Philippi at that time. 
And, um, and there was many religions there. They worshiped all kinds of different gods. But in particular, there was imperial cultism where they were worshiping the emperor at that time. That's who they worshiped. And so you can imagine when there was all these kind of different religions, there was plenty of opportunity for a cultic activity to take place, as we see in the story when Paul got there. So who were these Philippian Christians? Well, we find in Acts 16, as we've mentioned last couple of Sundays, that Paul was outside the city trying to find a place of prayer, and he met this lady named Lydia. And Lydia was a businesswoman, all right? I love business people. I work with business people all the time. This lady was an entrepreneur. She was dealing with purple cloth in the city. And you know what? Her heart was open, and she was the first convert in the city of Philippi. And I tell you what, the thought of church planting gets me excited. All right, Paul was there trying to plant a church. He had he and his buddies there. And here's their first convert. This lady gives her heart to Jesus. And apparently her whole family does. And this was the first group of people that the book of Philippians was written to. Now we read on. If you read in Philippians, you find out that they had elected a pastor, found a pastor, and it was, his name was Epaphroditus, if I'm not mistaken. All right? And so these are the kind of people that got saved. And then secondly, we find that Paul and Silas ended up in prison in Philippi and, and they started praising the Lord. The, the, uh, the gates, the, the chains fell off of them and the jailer and his family got saved. That was the core of the church at that time. And that's who this book of Philippians was written to. I tell you what, God wants you and me. We need to start planting churches. We need to start reaching people for Jesus. I had two or three opportunities this very week to stop with somebody, somebody I didn't even really know very well, and say, hey, can I pray with you? Can I tell you more about Jesus? In some cases, they already knew. In other cases, they didn't. But that's the way we need to live our lives, is reaching people for Jesus. Well, so Paul, eventually, he leaves uh, Philippi, and he writes to them, and these, these Christians have no reference point. They've been worshiping other gods. They don't know who Jesus is. <laughs> they don't know the Jewish customs in the Old Testament. They know, they know nothing. They know nothing about one almighty God. They'd heard there was a bunch of gods. They don't know that Jesus sacrificed himself for them, their sins. They didn't even know what sin was. They didn't know about the word of God, and they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you this. You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes you and us, you and me, we have no reference point. And there were some things that the Philippian Christians didn't know. And I'm going to tell you that I've discovered a couple of things. I've been a Christian a long time. There's been some things I've learned in the last two weeks that I didn't know. And as I've been reading the book of Philippians, I've been realizing they didn't know this stuff either. And so I want to share these things with you, the things these Philippians probably didn't know. And first, I'm going to read to you from the book of Philippians, the very letter that Paul wrote to these Philippians many years later. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the specifics of that next week. But he wrote many years later to them to encourage them and to show them some things that they probably didn't know. 
Now, how many, how many times have you read the Bible and you read one scripture and you say, yeah, I've read this 50 times. You read it for the 51st time and you realize, I didn't see that before. <laughs> That's new. That's fresh. I love this, man. I want more of this. That's how the Bible is. There's always a deeper level of understanding and knowledge and usefulness that you can get from the Bible. So let me read you a couple of scriptures from Philippians that shows that the Philippians probably didn't know these three things that I'm going to be sharing with you today. Philippians 1, I'm going to throw it up here on the screen, but you can look at your, your phones, your Bibles as well. Philippians 1 verse 3, it says, I think, this is the Apostle Paul writing to this church, I thank God every time I remember you, he remembers back, oh, that was the time when that, that poor demon-possessed little slave girl got delivered there on the streets of Philippi. I remember you. And in my prayers for you, I always pray with joy, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. There it is, man. I want richer and richer knowledge of God. You know, uh, is it uh, Jeremiah 3.33 or 33.3? <laughs> says, call unto me and I will show you great and hidden things that you do not know. Never get to the place where you're a Christian. Hey, I know it all. I've been, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I know it. No, you don't know it all. In fact, you don't know nothing. The minute, the minute you say, I know it all, you don't, it shows that you don't know anything. Verse 10, though, continues, Paul continues to say, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Listen to this. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right. So I am bold-facing, stealing some points from somebody else's preaching here, and I'm going to admit it. And I'm going to tell you who I stole it from, too. All right. These three things, I was listening to podcasts two weeks ago, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Now, one of my all-time favorites is Tim Keller. If you've never heard of him, he's just a phenomenal guy. And the reason why I'm willing to mention his name is because he's dead. All right, he passed away recently. I am scared to death to associate myself with any living human being and quote them because I'm afraid that two or three years down the line, they might do something really rotten, and then they'll say, oh, that's Steve's hero. <laughs> and they'll associate with me. Well, Tim can't do anything wrong now. He's in heaven with Jesus. Powerful man of God, preaches the word awesomely. And, and he said, you know what? The Holy Spirit works in, has, has three ministries. The Holy Spirit has three ministries. You say, well, what's a ministry? Well, the Holy Spirit works in Christian lives, in your life and in my life, in three different ways. And listen to what these are, all right? First of all, he assures us. The Holy Spirit assures us. And I want you just to think about that just for a second, because all my life, I've thought that I have to take a promise from the Bible and just believe it. You say, well, yeah, that's, that's right. No, but you know what's better still is there's the Bible with the truth and the, Holy, the active engagement of the Holy Spirit telling me what's in the Bible is for you. It's for you. That promise is for you. And you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, not with your natural ears so much as with your soul. 
in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind. The Holy Spirit is working night and day to assure you and to reassure you. Isn't that comforting, man? When I heard that, I was like, praise God. That is good news. I don't have to rely on my faith just gripping on, say, God, the Bible says that I appropriate. I'm standing on the word of God. No, the Holy Spirit is right there telling me the same thing the Bible's telling me. That's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the second thing. He sanctifies you. We've talked about this many times, but he is working to change you into a better version of who you are today. That's his work, constantly working in you. And you'll see this in Philippians next week, Philippians 12, uh, 2, 12, that says, God, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is inside of you, working in you. He works in you. We work what he works in us, out of us. And we're going to talk more about that. But that's the sanctifying, life-changing power of God, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the third one is this is from there he positions, positions you with authority. He never expected you to live a lame, hopeless, helpless, victimized life. You're not to fall prey to this world. You're not to fall prey to the devil. God wants you to be victorious. He wants you to win. You say, Steve, I'm so sick and tired of you saying that. Well, I'm going to say it until the day I die because t- I don't want to lose. I want to win. <laughs> I want to win. It's not your Libra says, all right? I want to win. And God wants you to win as well. And he, is, he has sent his Holy Spirit to help you win in life. Amen. Praise God. So let's just look at these, uh, these rea- the reaction that we should have to these works of the Spirit in our lives. And we're going to come back to Philippians. And I'm going to tie all this together because you're going to say there's a total disconnect. Just bear with me, all right? Let's go to the next one. So... We need to react positively to the work of the Spirit in our lives, all right? So if he assures us, what should we do when, when God is trying to assure you? Hey, you know what? You're going to make it. God's telling you. The Spirit of God is telling you. Monday morning, you're going to make it. You're, hang in there. You're going to get through this. You know, this relationship problem is going to get taken care of, or this money problem is going to get taken care of. This sickness is, the Holy Spirit is there telling you night and day, you're going to get through this. What should your reaction be? Receive what he's telling you. Believe what the Spirit of God is confirming from the Word of God to you. Say, I receive that. <laughs> I do. I'll take it, God. You, you tell me I'm going to be okay. I believe God. The reassurance of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, I believe it's in John 14. He not only tells, teaches us all things, he reminds us of all things. He re assures us over and over and over again. I can tell you from personal experience, the spirit of God does not get tired of reminding you about something. He just keeps on doing it. He keeps reminding you, reassuring you. But here's the next thing. If he's sanctifying you, if he's trying to change you for crying out loud, cooperate with God. (laughs) This has been like an epiphany for me for over the last like five years. Just cooperate with God. I'm not initiating anything with God. He's the initiator. He starts everything. I don't pull God. Come on, God, do this over here. No, he's saying, go in this direction. Now I'm following Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm walking in his paths. So I cooperate and look at this. Then I become. 
I become a better person. Shoo. In fact, better still, I become a different person. I forget my personality, forget my attitudes, forget my strengths, my, my talents, whatever. Throw it all away. God, just make me into a new person. Right? That's what the Bible says. We're reborn. We're given a new personality. Praise God. The Bible even talks about a new name. Look at some of the characters in the Bible. They were given new names because God gave them new identities to fit that new name. He sanctifies us. And then the last piece is here is he positions us for authority. He positions us with authority. What do we have to do? What's our reaction there? Unite with God. Stop trying to get God to unite with you and your agendas and your plans and say, God, I'm going to unite with your agenda, your plan, your way of doing things, and I'm going to start doing it your way. I'm going to unite. The Bible talks about, and you're going to see it here in a second, about partnering with God. The Bible talks about you being a co-laborer with God. You see, you unite with God. Jesus says, hey, I am leading captives in a triumphal procession. What does that mean? God Go ahead and enslave me. <laughs> it talks about it in Romans. I'm a slave to Christ. So he says, I'm going to lead you in a triumphal procession. See, back then in the Roman times, the, the Roman conquerors would come and get the, the leaders of whatever country or province or city they had conquered, and they would chain them up behind the, the Roman conqueror, and they would walk in a triumphal procession saying, see who I conquered? Well, in Jesus' way of thinking that, that looks different, man. We are with him, united with him in victory. Jesus has never lost a battle. We sang it today. He has never lost a battle. So I want to unite with that kind of conqueror, that kind of victor. And, and you know, whenever I unite with him, I'm going to start achieving victoriously. You want, I think there's a lot of people in life, they just want to be achievers. They want to get things done. Hey, if you want to achieve big things, unite yourself with Christ Jesus. Because you're going to be fruitful beyond all imagination. So let's go back to Philippians 1. And let's look at those same verses that we underlined. And let's connect it to these three things that I believe the Philippians didn't fully realize or comprehend. First of all, we said he assures us. Look at this in verse 11 of Philippians 1 that we already read. It's filled with the fruitfulness, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That was from verse 9. All right. So he assures you, what do you have to do? Just receive. You see, righteousness is just a free gift. You don't work it up in yourself and try to prove your love to the Lord or prove your love or, or your, your goodness. I was talking to somebody this week, one of those chats that I told you about. I was asked if I could pray for this guy. And I said, so do you know anything about God? And he says, well, I, I just know that I got to be a good person. And, and that if I'm a good person, most of the time I'm in good shape. That's basically what he told me. That's not true. That's not how it works. You got to be filled with righteousness and righteousness is a free gift. And the spirit of God is saying, I assure you that Jesus paid the price for you. Now just receive the righteousness that comes through that faith in God. So what do we do as, as assurance? I just receive. Praise God. God, you tell me you love me. I receive it. God, you tell me you forgive me. I receive it. 
God, you tell me that my future is going to be okay, even though that today everything looks dark and hopeless. I receive it. I believe it. I'm not married yet, but I want to be married someday. I am married, by the way. I'm just, you know, pretending to be somebody else. But I'm, you know, I haven't found the, the soulmate that God wants me. Hey, you tell me, God, that you've got somebody out there for me. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. You see, you take the assurance of the Holy Spirit. And these verses show that he was speaking to these, these uh, Philippians and saying, all you have to do is wait and receive from God. Now look at this next set of scriptures that we read already in this context now. In verse, I really need to start wearing glasses. Verse 6? Yeah, 6. It says, being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What is that? God's working in your life. Are you the same person you were six months ago? I hope not. It's a progressive sanctification, all right? The Bible talks about that we were sanctified, that we are being sanctified, and that we will be sanctified. It's a constant, progressive process in our lives, and it is so wonderful, but it is so tough at the same time. Because we as humans, we don't want to change. We don't want to, you know, change this thing or change that thing. We say we want to improve, but we're not really... <laughs> prepared to make the investment that we need to make in ourselves with God's help. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the one that sanctifies you. We just need to cooperate with Him. All right? And then this last one, again, in, in Philippians, of this position of authority. And Tim Keller really says this higher assurance of, of power. I love that. Higher assurance. Uh, but I'm calling it positions. He positions you with authority. In verse 5 of Philippians 1, it says, because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Remember how we talked about being united with Christ? Man, get behind Jesus. Make yourself, chain yourself to the Lord and say, I am going with you because you're going to achieve victoriously. Now, Nowhere in the Bible that I can find is there a clear depiction or, or, or picture of these three ministries of the Holy Spirit than Romans 8. And so while we're talking about Philippians, I just want to pull out and look at Romans 8. And then next week, we'll get back into the book of Philippians and finish up and get back into Acts and then go into the Thessalonians. How about that for a little bit of a picture of the future? But Romans 8, before I do this. Let me just read you Romans 8, verse 16. Here it is, right up here. Remember I said that the Spirit's ministry, look what, the Spirit himself testifies with your spirit that you are God's child. You see that? You don't just have to read the Bible, just you and the Bible. You've got the Spirit of God with you, reassuring you that what the Bible says applies to you. Isn't that wonderful? It's been changing the way that I read the Bible because I, I look at it and say, the Spirit of God is telling me the very things that are on the printed page of the Word of God. Wow, that changes everything. And I'm, I'm starting to recognize, holy cow, the Spirit of God has been reassuring me for years now, and I just haven't been listening. I've been trying to appropriate these things. You know, in I think it's 2 Peter 1, it says, that we can participate in God's divine nature through his promises. 
Now I don't just have to appropriate his promises. I just listen to the spirit of God saying, Steve, that's your promise. That's for you. And you just need to receive it and believe, believe it. So here it says, the spirit himself testifies with your spirit. I absolutely love that. So let's look at these three things very briefly this morning. Romans 8 uh, of, these, of the assurance of God, of the spirit of God, the uh, sanctification, and then this positioning of 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 our spiritual selves in a higher place, a higher realm. All right, starting, and and I'm going to jump around just a tiny bit, but look at what assurances we receive. And this is just a sampling. There's no way we could cover everything this morning, but these are ones that really help me, and I pray that they help you as well. Romans 8, verse 1. All right, this, this one says that God doesn't condemn us. God doesn't condemn us. And if there is something that I think Christians struggle with more than anything else, it's condemnation. It's feeling like you're not good enough. You've done too many wrong things, or you recently did something wrong. You've had a victory, and then you slip back in the valley again. And it says in verse, verse 1, I've quoted this myself many times, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then if you jump down into verse 34 of Romans 8, it also says, who then, who then is the one who condemns? And it, the Bible says no one. no one God is not condemning you and can I tell you something that I get from this the devil can't condemn you he can't what does it mean to condemn it means to condemn is say you're wrong and now you're punished to hell forever that's what condemnation is did you know the devil can't send you to hell (laughs) he can't send you to hell therefore he cannot condemn you You can't even condemn yourself. God is the only one with the power to be able to condemn. And it says right here in the word of God that he's not doing it. (laughs) He's not doing it. And you have the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear. God isn't condemning you. So now it's not just the word of God. It's the spirit of God telling you the same exact thing. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. That's a big assurance. And you don't only have to tell yourself, you just need to listen to God telling you the very same thing. Here's another one. I can be in Jesus. Another assurance. I can be in Jesus, inside of him. I love the thought of a big old canopy. His presence is like a canopy. The Bible says in in Genesis, at the very beginning of time, that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, like just like a canopy. Guess what? God's Spirit is hovering over your life. And you don't even realize it. I don't even realize it at times. We think we're alone. He says, no, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will always be with you. And you're in Christ. He's over you. He's in you. He's with you. But there again, in, in, in Romans 8, 1, it says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you say, well, Steve, how do I get to be in Christ Jesus? In Ephesians 1, 13, it gives us a perfect kind of roadmap. And it says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message. It's time to start listening to God's voice in your life. And stop listening to your own voices, your own thoughts, and what may have been told to you when you were a child, or, or maybe you went through a rough divorce and your spouse told you that you were no good. It's time to stop listening to those voices 
And here it says, you were included in Christ when you start listening to the message of the truth. That's when you're in Christ. So it doesn't stop there because it says the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Can you make up your mind that you're going to start listening to God's voice instead of all these other thoughts and noise and stuff that goes through your mind? God is assuring you through his spirit. He's assuring you. What else does he assure you of? God has given me life and has set me free. You're not going to be set free until you start. You know, I'm sick and tired. We talked about it. Uh, Paul got annoyed in, in Acts 16. It's time for you to get annoyed with what's chaining you down and say, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of depression. I'm tired of anxiety. I'm tired of panic. I am, and I'm assured of this by the Spirit of God, He's given me life and He's set me free. And whoever the Son has set free is free indeed. Period. End of story. Hey, you start living like that, you are going to be set free. Because you're listening to the Spirit of God instead of so many other negative thoughts that cross our minds. There in verse 2 of Romans 8, it says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life and has set you free from the law of sin and death. Did you know the chains have already been broken in your life? Colossians 2.15 says that God, Christ Jesus disarmed powers and principalities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It's done. Don't be like that proverbial monkey that reaches into that trap, puts his, his little scrawny little hand in there, grabs the fruit, and then his hand becomes too big to get out of the hole. And then that, that little trap is chained and he's squawking and squealing until some uh, hunter comes and bops him over the head with a club. And, and that's his end. Let go and let God. <laughs> Amen. You were set free. It's done already. The price has been paid. You need to start receiving it, receiving the assurance of the Spirit of God. Jesus, here's another assurance. Jesus met the righteous requirements of the law for me. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. He's already paid the price. You don't, you don't have to do anything except just receive the free gift of righteousness that God gives you from his grace. Verse 3, it says... Uh, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. You didn't do this. God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering for you and for me so that he condemned sin in our flesh without condemning us. It's like, unfortunately, chemotherapy doesn't work as good as, as everybody might hope that it would, but that chemotherapy is supposed to go in and kill the cancer without killing the patient. And that's what Jesus does, but he does it perfectly. He died on the cross and he zapped that sin, that besetting sin, that, ugh, that ugly habit that you have, that thing that you can't shake, praise God. He zapped it for you without zapping you. That's the goodness of God. That's the assurance of the Spirit to you. So that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Three more assurances, and then we'll get into sanctification real quick. All things work together for my good. Man, I made the stupidest mistake about a week and a half ago at work. Dumb mistake. It was irritating. And, and, and this guy at a, 
at a lower level than me caught my mistake and I felt stupid. And I was irritated with myself that I didn't double check my work a little bit better. And as I was beating myself up, which I often do, how many of you guys beat yourself up? All right. Regrets and whatever, you know, you know, the spirit of God assured me all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And you know what I did? Because I've been working on this. I received it. I received that, that word from the Lord that's straight from the Bible, straight from the word of God, but an assurance from the spirit of God. I received that. And you know what? In a matter of hours, God worked out all things together for my good. And it was all okay. You see, it works. It's true. It's powerful. It's life changing. We've got to start listening to the assurance of the spirit. All right. Here's a second to last one. God is on my side. (laughs) Did you know that God is actually on your side? God is not the referee blowing the whistle at you. He's your coach and he is on your side. He might yell at you. He might slap you upside your, your head sometimes, but he's on your side. He's not against you. He's for you. We see that in in, uh, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Lastly, we see that nothing will separate me from God's love. Nothing in this world will separate me from his love. You know what that's called? Unconditional love. Period. End of story. God unconditional. If God had conditionally loved us, we would all be doomed. Every single one of us. But God unconditionally loved you despite your mess ups, despite my look back at things that I've done, dumb things, stupid things, bad things, horrible things. And God loves me still. (laughs) Praise God. I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels, demons, present, future, powers, heights, depths, anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. God's love is a beautiful, huge ocean. I'm going to dive into that ocean and I'm going to drown myself in the love of God. <laughs> I'm just not going to get away from it. I want God's love. It, it, it changes everything. Sanctification, a little bit shorter list here and then and then position of the authority here. Look at this. The spirit of God sanctifies us. And look, he helps me in my helpless weak times. That's a sanctifying power of God is getting you to a point of complete and utter weakness and dependence on God. Tina and I were talking about this last 18 months has been hard, hard. Can't tell you how hard it's been for us. But you know what? It got me so weak that all I could do was say, I trust in you, God. And you know what? I was talking to Kyle, Tina and I were talking to Kyle yesterday, my son, and, and he, he's kind of going through the same thing. Just, you know, it's, this is what it's like. And he said something I'll never forget now. He said, I'm getting comfortable trusting in the Lord. And I've, I've said this all my life. You got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I've said that for years to myself. I got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I don't think that's completely true. I think you can be comfortable trusting the Lord when looking all around at your circumstance saying, I don't know how this is going to work out, (laughs) but I'm going to be comfortable trusting the Lord. Psalms 23 says that in the presence of my enemies, he prepares for me a table 
a, a banquet, a feast, and you can sit down there while a ferocious, drooling wolf feels like he's about to take off your head, and you just eat comfortably from the table of God. Amen? You can, you can do it. That's the assurance of God. He helps me in my helpless weak, weak times. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Here's another one about, about sanctification. Your sinful tendencies will lose their grip on you. They're going to lose their grip. All right, you got a secret addiction, a little thing that you do to help calm your nerves, whatever. God's going to help that thing lose its grip on you. And you're not going to have to hide anything else ever again. Praise God. All right. For if you live according to the flesh, you die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. You don't have to fight that temptation on your own. The spirit of God is going to help you. He's going to sanctify you. He is going to set you free little by little. I found some things I get set free of instantly. I'm like, God, I love it when you work that way. You did that right away. I didn't even have to fight. And then other things take five years. And you're like, God, when is this ever going to lose its grip on me? Don't give up. God is working in you. He is setting you free progressively, little by little. God governs my thoughts with peace. All right? That's part of sanctification, to govern your thoughts. He begins to control this gray matter that's up in your head that you can't seem to control at night. You have 10,000 thoughts a day going through your head and you can't turn it off at night. And God governs your thoughts with peace. That's part of the sanctification process. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Jesus, here's another one. Jesus met God's requirements for you. I'm not going to reread that one. We, we talked about it already, but that's part of the sanctification process is not my righteousness, it's God's righteousness and what Jesus did for me. I am free from the things that control me because I am God's offspring. And if you're getting the text, the daily text from us, you're going to get that one this week. You are God's offspring. Therefore, nothing can control you. Nothing can control you. I don't know about you, but I hate manipulative personalities. I hate getting with people and them trying to control you and pull you and whatnot. The enemy is always trying to control you. He's always trying to manipulate your thoughts through fear, through internal desires that you have. But you know what? He can't because you are the offspring of God. The spirit you receive does not make you a, a, a slaves so that you're, you're living fear again. Rather, the spirit you received uh, brought about your adoptions as sonship to sonship. And by him, we cry out, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So as you start feeling that control coming over you from some thought or attitude or feeling, you say, no, 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 no. I'm a child of God. I'm not going to be controlled by people. I'm not going to be controlled by attitudes or thoughts or feelings. Uh, here's another one. Even when bad things are going, uh, even bad things are going to have good outcomes in my life. We read that Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for God's uh, works of, for, for our good, for those that love God and been called according to his purpose. And then look at this. This is an interesting one. He changes the way you pray. And I've noticed that as God is sanctifying me, 
I'm not coming whining to God all the time. I'm not coming complaining to God. And I'm not coming groveling to God. No, no. I'm starting to come as a child of God and say, God, I know this is your will. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, let it be done. And, and he changes the way you pray. Another change that I've seen, huge changes. I used to pray five minutes. I'm like, oh, what else is there to talk about here? I mean, five minutes, give me a break. It feels like 45 minutes. But I've found that as I get closer to God, I'm enjoying my time with Jesus. And now 45 minutes can seem like five minutes, like flipped. Like I'm not having enough time with God. He's changing the way that I pray. It's relationship-based. It's enjoyable. It's effective. It's powerful. And it's virtually something I just want to do throughout the day. And it's not that I'm a holy person. He has just been changing me, and therefore he's been changing the way that I pray. Now lastly, the last ministry of the Holy Spirit that we see in Romans 8 is how he positions us with spiritual authority. And, and I'm not going to throw it up here. I'm just going to quote this one. It's in Ephesians 1 somewhere towards the end of the chapter, maybe 20. But it says that... Jesus has been seated in heavenly realms high above every power and authority. And, and it, you know, he has been seated at the highest place in the universe and in spiritual realms. And then in Ephesians 2, it says, you and I, we've been seated with him in heavenly realms. And I don't think it's still very recently that it's been dawning on me the reality of that, of that truth. And it's because... I've got to first work on assurance from the Holy Spirit. I've, I've secondly, I've got to work on the sanctification, the, the process that he's taken me through. But if I take those two things, God starts exalting you to a higher place of authority where you live as you were expected to live back in Genesis. God created you to rule, not to be ruled over. Did you know that? He created you to rule, not to lord it over people or to be a jerk or, or to take advantage of situations. No, he called you to be on top of life, not under life. Amen? And so, and, and this isn't this prosperity, name it, claim it, grab it, grab it. No, this is, this is legitimate. God wants you to be victorious in life. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to win. And so he positions you for authority as you mature in him. You need to grow up in him first. You need to develop a relationship. Otherwise, our pride takes over and we take advantage of the blessings of God. But look at this position of spiritual authority. Look at some of these thoughts from Romans 8. My inheritance is a sure thing. My inheritance is a sure thing. I don't know. If you have retirement set aside, you better not put any, like, don't be relying on that stuff. You know, it could be gone like that. How's that for assurance? <laughs> All right. But with God, you have a sure inheritance. And it's not just in the sweet by and by in heaven. God has it stored away from you to release to you when you need it. If you'll just trust in him. All right. Your inheritance is a sure thing. Verse 17, it says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. How good does that get? God's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hill. All the, all the gold and the silver is his, the Bible says. Everything in creation he owns. You just got, he's providing, you know? Amen. He's providing. I mean, we've seen that for the last year and a half in, in our family's lives. It's just been amazing. Look, here's another one. You can't lose. How's that? How would you like to wake up every morning and say, I can't lose? <laughs> 
I can't lose. The Bible tells me over and over again, nothing will harm you. Well, my aunt so-and-so died of cancer and -and so-and-so got hit by a car and they had who, you know what? Stop limiting God by other people's experiences. The Bible says nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. Get a grip and start receiving what God is telling you and believe it. Face value. Face value. You can't lose. It says in verse 37 in in Romans 8, no, in all of these things, you are more than conquerors through him who loved you. Praise God. Start living that way. Start living the way the spirit of God is is talking to you. I am positioned, it's it's a statement, I'm positioned in the realm of the spirit. You say, Steve, you're getting a little weird now. Kind of just... You're, you're in this realm of the spirit. Well, I'm just going off the what the Bible says here. You are, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. You are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. There's a place, there's a, a plane that you can live in that's high above your problems, high above what people think about you, high about above your experiences. God wants you to live in that plane, in the realm of the Spirit. And only God can pick you up and let you begin to realize. Last two, the Spirit of God actively leads you every day. It says we're led by the Spirit of God in verse 14. And here's the last one I want to leave you with, of being in this position of spiritual authority. I have experienced fearlessness more and more every day. And I'm getting a taste of this a little bit. Fearlessness, like, I'm not scared anymore. I'm not anxious anymore. I'm not panicked anymore. Now, then I slip off the horse and I'm freaking out again. But I'm not telling you I'm that way all the time. I'm just saying, I'm getting little glimpses of it. I'm like, I love this. I love being fearless. And God wants to make you fearless. He wants to put you in a position where you realize nothing can touch me. God is on my side.